Okay, welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 238. My name is Terry Frost, and this time around I have a guest because I I'll, well, I'll explain that a little bit later. But anyway, we have the wonderful From Silver and Gold Podcast, Dr. Zom. How are you, mate? I'm doing doing well. Uh, Good. Doing silver, doing gold, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, doing all that other stuff in between. Yeah, you guys should really get your shit together and do a coup d'etat as well. <laughs> We're try- I, I, I'm trying to... Um, to, to um, uh, in like the Fantastic Four, um, well, I don't even know if it was in the Fantastic Four. It was in some comic. Um, they just it wasn't. It, it was a different comic, and somebody was in an insane asylum, or for some reason, as like a guest. And as they were walking by, there was this guy who looked strangely like Reed Richards in in a cell. And he was talking to himself, and he's like, "I can't, I can't, I can't lose my concentration, or the whole world will fall, up, you know, the universe will <laughs> fall apart." And so I'm trying to hold the silver and gold universe together. <laughs> You're doing a good job. I heard the uh, last one where there was a lot of mention of cunnilingus and pubic hair, but uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, someone commented that my uh, Rocky fan fiction <laughs> was a little <laughs> was a little uh, over the top. But, you know, I think what it is is um, we had a discussion, uh, some of my coworkers, about uh, uh, cuckolding. Mm. And um, I was explaining to uh, – well, the one guy knew what knew knew about it, but then one of the other people, I was telling him about a video that I had watched. Uh, um, and just to keep it, you know <laughs> – about this tiny little cage. <laughs> it's, it's like, I guess, like a men's chastity belt or something, but it's a tiny little cage oh. that the, the cuck, you know, wears. And uh, we were talking about that, and somehow it got to um, Rocky Balboa being a cuck hmm. first to um, uh, with Adrian and Clubber Lang. Yeah. And then when Clubber Lang, you know, got tired of her and kicked her to the curb, she fell into the, uh, I believe I, I said like the, the, the large, firm, warm arms of Apollo Creed. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Stallone just kind of irritates me for some reason. Yeah, we're actually, we're actually going to be talking about an actor who irritates me for weird reasons a little bit later, so I'm foreshadowing right now. Yeah, it, it's 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 funny how... You know, sometimes I have to t- you take a step back and you think, okay, well, if I met this guy in real life, he might be, you know, whatever. He, he's probably a nice guy or whatever. But there's just something about that that whole um, yuppie persona yeah. that's still – and I don't expect him to be Rocky Balboa because Rocky Balboa is a character and everything. But it seemed like he was fighting a little too hard to be something – you know, it's something completely different. Like I'm, I play a guy who is a brain damaged um, pugilist, a washed up, you know, boxer, and so. But I'm not. I, I want. I'm going to be, you know, like uh, Van Gogh, or you know, and I'm. I'm. I paint, and I'm. What is it with these guys that? Howard Stern did the same thing when they start getting older, and they start looking for something to do. That that, that like 
he he's all of a sudden like a, uh, into painting, and I think if I would have applied myself uh, at a young age, I could have been a really talented painter. And I'm like, oh, give me a fucking break, yuppie prick. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he, he'll make money on it because of the, his name value. The paintings won't be particularly good. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of celebrities have done that in the past and continue to do so, all the way from you know, John Wayne Gacy to Rod Taylor. <laughs> They've well, all done it, yeah. But Taylor every, started out as a commercial artist. Uh, and that's the thing, like, y- you can say the same thing about, like, um, whether it's Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, J- James Garner, or even Tom Cruise following in their footsteps doing, I think, what he thought, what he thinks is the cool thing to do, and, like getting into uh, auto racing, motorcycle racing, and things like that. Now, that's more of a macho male, you know, thing to do or whatever, but... I, I remember – I'm trying to think. Stallone – didn't Stallone do get into like po, uh, riding polo ponies and playing polo? Because I know uh, Steve McQueen tr- did it and tried it uh, when he was doing Thomas Crown. Yeah, I, I remember the beautiful kind of split-screen stuff they did on Thomas Crown with the polo yeah. ponies. And that. But I suppose you got – yeah, you got a lot of money to piss around. You've got a lot of time to kill. You're going to try out different weird and wonderful things and see if they work yeah. for you. I, I, I read an article one time sitting in a um, in a doctor's office about Tom Cruise, and they were talking about how calculated all of his moves and all of his movies were. And they actually were talking about how he got into auto racing because – he worked with Paul Newman, mm. and it and it was good for his image. And then you see him. I I, I remember seeing some stuff about with him and David Miscavige, yeah, uh, leader of Scientology, uh, riding like Ducati motorcycles. And then you see Cruz riding motorcycles in Top Gun, and then um, uh, Impossible Two, yeah, yeah, and, and, the, and the, the latest one too. Well, they said that he. Um, even the people that he works with, he he after a certain point in his career, he only picks projects with certain directors or certain actors that he can kind of attach himself to that are in the important actors. I don't know if he does that that because he's become his own thing now, but I think this is when he was you know going from say like uh, risky business and all the right moves. Trying to go, trying to become an important actor, yeah. and I'm sure that the uh, the the church might have uh, had a little to do with you know getting him you know in with important people. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, um, I've actually got Tom Cruise down as a topic of conversation because I read an article today about Tom Cruise, which was brilliant, and I've totally forgotten where I read it. And they've said a couple of interesting things. One of which is, it's now 17 years since Tom Cruise was the romantic lead in a movie. Hmm. The last one was Vanilla Sky, which is about 2001. Right. And ever since then, he's been playing action heroes and all sorts of other things. He, he did the comedy bit in Tropic Thunder, which wasn't particularly good comedy. It was just like a guy in a fat suit swearing. They don't They don't count any of the uh, the women in the Mission Impossible movies that he attaches himself to. It's a very uh, Paul- kind of asexual attachment. Yeah. Uh, and that's the interesting thing is, he's, of all the action heroes in cinema, he's probably the most asexual one. He, I mean, even when he's supposed to be in a relationship with someone, he's passionate about them, or at least the script says he should be passionate about them. 
he's got intensity, but not any real passion. He doesn't have that kind of hormonal passion, right? That makes for a good movie relationship. You know that kind of chemistry there. And maybe so, just kind of going through the moves, or or just doing. Yeah. It's like he's doing what he. It's like when they say an alien mm. is pretending to do what humans do. Yeah. So he's kind like of that. pretending to do what heterosexual men would do. Well, I'm not sure about his sexuality. I mean, you can always speculate about that stuff, but leaving that aside just for a moment, and it's always fun to speculate about that kind of thing, what it really is is he, he doesn't – Yeah, he's got a very carefully calculated attitude. He's got an enormous dose of small man syndrome mm-hmm. because he's not very tall. Except and, he does have big hips. Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> Childbearing hips. Yes, yes, like Hitler. Hitler had the same thing. Yeah, and um, you know he's, he's got that kind of asexual thing, but he's also got a whole organization of about a million people mm-hmm. who think he's a new messiah. I mean, Scientology. Well, I, I, I would imagine that it would be kind of difficult to have, like, like you said, an entire organization. Uh, trying to steer you in uh, a certain direction. Uh, uh, okay, well, you don't want to do this because you don't want to seem like you're too this or that. And we, we need to have you with a with an attractive lady uh, or we need to have you do this. And instead of being just somebody who can just go out and be themselves. Yeah. Well, the but who knows is, what himself is, you know? Yeah. Well, the weird thing is that if you have a look at the Mission Impossible films, he does have that relationship with uh, Michelle Monaghan's character, mm-hmm. but she's taken away because he can't have a relationship. Whether he's a spy, it's a it's a threat to her and all that kind of thing. So he's, he's got to basically ghost her for that, which is crazily convenient if you don't want to make a relationship an ongoing part of a movie series. And there are movie series where relationships have been a part of it ongoing. Um, the Ocean's movies, for instance, Danny Ocean. With um, who's that? Uh, Julia Roberts' character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's flowed through, and and there's, they've kind of got good value out of progressing that relationship through the three movies. But for Tom Cruise, it's a conv- it's a convenience for him to really you know have a, a relationship in one movie, and then for the rest of the next few movies, it's all no, I can't be with her because it's it's easy, mm. it's convenient. And it doesn't let him do any emotional heavy lifting. Well, it, it, you would think in that vein, if you look at like the um, James Bond movies, and those are similar, very similar type movies, you know, I wonder why they didn't go the way of, I guess maybe they didn't want him to be so misogynistic that he actually does have a heart and that he actually does care about these women, whereas James Bond's kind of like, you know, um, well, with the exception of... On a Majesty's Secret Service, yeah. Right, right, yeah. with with Tracy, and yeah. then, you know, after that. But but then they tried to do that with in the new James Bond movies with it for the first, what, like three movies, they kept bringing up Vesper, like mm. she was this love of his life, and she was a, a shit, you know? Yeah. And, and But then again, so is he. But with Cruz... Um, now he did make the the um, uh, the movie with his then wife Nicole Kidman, mm. and but that was 
the whole point of that movie it was the the relationship was strained and and uh, kind of a kind of a fucked up relationship but then again most of the relationships i've been in were kind of like that too um i'm trying to think uh, you almost have to go back to like those movies where he was a uh what i would call a kid now uh with um all the right moves risky business well she she was a prostitute but still you know this movie hope core with a heart of gold i guess Mm -hmm. and then um uh top gun was you know he was supposedly enamored with Kelly McGillis, but there was so much homoerotic tension yeah. in that movie. <laughs> that it, oh my god! That, yeah. that now see, I wish he would make more movies like that. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he will. I mean, it's really a very telling point that when he started having have a lot of control over his own career, he steered away from those kind of heterosexual full on relationships. Right. So uh, people people can read into that what they like, but I'm just pointing yeah. out that it's an interesting phenomenon. I'm not. Well, that's one of those things. It's like it's not my business. But yeah, I don't even care if he is if yeah. he is whatever. Yeah. It's just one of those things that it it, it seems like um, it makes you wonder why. Um, but then again, maybe they just don't. I don't know. I I, I mean. You would think because at one point he was a sex symbol to, you know, whoever, but you know, to the ladies or whatever. And the guys and, in the steam room, yeah. Right. Yeah. But then they turn around and and almost go out of their way to not put him in any kind of a movie. Has he ever done any kind of like anything that would be considered close to a rom com? I don't think comedy's his strong point because he takes himself too seriously. Right. To be really be a good comedian, I think. You've got to have that moment where you're willing to be totally stupid and dumb and, and kind of fuck with it in some way. It doesn't matter what kind of comedian you are, there's got to be that moment of, I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. And I think Tom Cruise, his self-image doesn't permit that. I mean, yeah, he will kind of do the pantomime in Tropic Thunder with the fat suit and the yeah. over-the-top stuff and things like that, mostly to say, hey, look what I can do. But there's no real commitment to the comedy. And the way he delivers the lines in that movie shows that he doesn't have any particular skill or training mm-hmm. to be funny. Well, it's almost like when he played Stacy Jacks in, um, what was that? What the heck was um, that damn thing called? Rock of Ages, was it? Or something? Rock of Ages, yeah. yeah. Um, I. To me, that was almost like an ego-driven piece where he was like, "Look what I can look at! Look how talented I am! Look what I can do! Yeah. I can dance! I can sing! Uh, look how, how what great shape I'm in!" Uh, and he could be like, he's almost living like if he would have ch- uh, Tom Cruise. I think in his mind and in the mind of uh, uh, L. Ron Hubbard uh, yeah. <laughs> that that I because of uh, he's a whatever Faden or whatever that he could have been successful at anything, including he could have been the lead singer for you know Motley Crue or whoever you know. Uh, yeah. And he just instead of instead of doing it now, he can go back and just play that part. But he did all of his own singing. He did all of his own you know that getting up there and humping the stage and doing all that shit. Um, yeah, it can be that, I, mean, I guess that's stretching, you know. Yeah. He's, he's he stretching could be anything his... he wanted to be except a professional basketball player. 
Right, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sure he would have had a, an excellent – I'm not even going to say it. But I was going to say something about, like, I don't know how much do fluffers make. Is that a good, you know, job? Uh, oh, it's a, it's, a, a, it's a kind of job where you don't get paid much, but it's all you can eat. <laughs> I see we've lost none of our <laughs> – yes, We're there again, mate. We are there. We hit, we'd hit right on the button. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, just to kind of finalise on the Tom Cruise thing, I am going to see Mission Impossible Fallout tomorrow for the mm-hmm. simple reason that I hate Tom Cruise, but I love Tom Cruise movies, particularly uh-huh. the action ones. And it's a well, crazy dichotomy I've never quite figured out. Maybe it's the ensemble. Maybe it's all of his boyfriends that he surrounds himself with, you know, the Ving Rames and the Simon Pegg and all those guys. I, uh, I feel the same way. I, th- there are... When you look back at the movies that he has done, um, especially the action movies, you know, even uh, Last Samurai and things like that, I mean, he does. I, I th- it's like separating the man from the art. Like whether you have Woody Allen or Klaus Kinski or whoever you want to bring up, you know, that you can. Uh, if some people say, "Oh, I can never watch this guy's movies because he raped somebody or whatever," yeah. but, um. With Cruz, he's he is an I I find him hilarious, right? Uh, when you know the stuff that we've seen of him away from film, but I also find him interesting. Like I can sit there and watch a shitload of. Uh, documentaries about Scientology and the Process Church and and uh, you know Anton Levey or um, or whoever and and it's really interesting and the, and even though he's involved with that shit and I think it's a cult and I think it's kind of you know yeah, it's a very job, strange yeah. yeah yeah exactly it's a it's a scam like most religions yeah. uh, but or all um, in my opinion uh, but. Allegedly, I, I think, yeah, yeah allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, yeah. But Oof. I think that he is an interesting guy, and I do think that he does make good action movies. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up is another ego-fed or ego-driven thing with him. Now, I, well, I'm trying to think what movie it was where – you had um, oh, say it was like Hooper with Burt Reynolds, yeah. And he's and and uh, Adam West is hanging up there, and he's got his uh, uh, arm hooked to this zip line, and he's going to while these explosions are going off, he's going to zip down across there, and they go, okay, Adam, uh, cut, and then Adam West takes his hand out and steps away, and Sonny Hooper, Burt Reynolds yeah. comes over, puts his hand in there, and actually does the stunt. Um, so, and you would hear these old actors that would say, "Yeah, on the, you know, she wore a yellow ribbon. I, uh, I did uh, some of my own stunts. I, I've heard Burt Reynolds say that. You know, I, I did yeah. some of my own stunts, and I, you know, tore my shoulder out. And, and Cruz seems to be doing that too. It makes you, it does make you wonder how much of it's true or not. Because well, like I, thing- I know he broke his ankle doing um, a wire stunt in this uh, Mission Impossible movie. Then he jumped from like one building to the next yeah. or something, and his I've seen the, the I've seen the raw footage, and that foot bent badly. Yeah, it, it but I mean, crumpled. But, but like they said that like in the I think it I don't know if it was the last one where he hung on to the side of the airplane. Yeah, that one looks genuine. 
that, that, yeah, and I've the heard that he's not good enough yet. That one wasn't. It, or it, he was, did do it. it was genuine. Okay, that's what I thought. I thought I had heard that he had done that, and I imagine that you know they 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 take every precaution now. When when he broke his ankle or whatever he did, you know that was an accident. But I'm sure that all the harnesses and everything, like when he was hanging from the plane, they had him tied onto that goddamn thing. Like yeah. there was no fucking way anything could happen. They had him there with the ropes and superglue. Yeah, right. But in the same instance. What does that say about somebody when – I mean I don't know what Tom Cruise's net value is or what his worth is. I know his value, yeah, well, <laughs> but his, yeah, how much a, he's worth. Yeah. But he's a little bit older than me, and he's got all this fucking money. But isn't that psychological – to me, that's like trying – he's trying so hard to prove something. Yeah, he's a short and, well, and yeah, and I and I, I I see. God, I hate to say this, but I just see one of these days something's going to happen, and the guy it's going to be like you know Tom Cruise's plane went down over this or that, and he was killed, or during a stunt uh, something went wrong, and you know because you're you're taking a chance with your life in the one. Mission Impossible. He was climbing outside that building, which was like the tallest structure, Khalifa, on, yeah, yeah, in the world. And he was actually doing that too. Um, like you said, maybe it is a, a little man thing, but maybe it's one of those things that um, the adrenaline rush. You yeah. know, some people get into that, uh, jumping out of airplanes and all this and that. But um, at that age, I would think that a norm, and maybe it's a, it's a. Maybe he's an alpha male, and I'm not. But <laughs> there are no alpha but, males. They're just idiots and sane people. Yeah, if I had that much money, that's why you have stuntmen, and why, and especially in a day and age, in this day and age where you have CGI, where the, now I appreciate, like in the Quentin Tarantino movie Death Proof, when they mm. did the the car stunts. They did real car stunts with yeah. real stuntmen. But then I step back and I think to myself, okay, every time a stuntman, whether it's um, oh, uh, Zoe Bell is on the hood of that fucking car yeah. or those two guys in the car that are jumping it through a, a, a billboard and crashing into each other, every time a stuntman is doing that, it's a human being putting their life on the line for – entertainment and if you can do that without having to risk somebody's life and health you know they don't have to get killed they could be paralyzed for life or whatever something and and people have been yeah yeah right and something goes wrong and zoe bell something happens and the thing comes loose and she flies off the car gets run over by the car whatever um why would you need to do that if you don't have to and you know, but like I said, maybe that's you know that's the way my mind mind works. When I'm 52 years old, I think you know I don't want to go out there and and uh, risk breaking this or that, and then have even if it's not life threatening or something that's going to paralyze me. Still, you're an older person and you're going to end up feeling that for the rest of your fucking life. Well, some guys are in denial about that, and and that's yeah. the thing. Tom Cruise is. Is about Tom Cruise. You got to think. You got. You don't have to think past the ego to understand him. I think. And again, we're not professional psychologists. We're just going on life experience. And people who take risks they don't have to, 
are trying to prove something, uh, but it's complicated by the fact that he monetizes mm-hmm. those risk-taking ventures. So if he does these Mission Impossible movies and does all the stunts and it's promoted that he does all the stunts and things like that and it's shown that he broke his ankle and all that kind of thing, that's money in the bank. But not not to – I mean, you know, just to jump in, um, do you think that those movies would be any better or any worse or that you would that, – that you want to go see it even more than you would – just because Tom Cruise was on the side of this plane for a couple of minutes, you know, that, to me, if it looks good, you know, I don't give a. F- I don't. Yeah. I, it, I, I don't. I never think that way. You, you know, oh, you, man, I want to go see. I want to go see Tom Cruise in this movie because he actually did this one stunt. I never even think about it until you know the actual. Yeah. Thing comes up and then they're like, "Oh, that's that right there. He's doing that." And I think to myself, "Well, they could have with every all the technology, and it's getting better and better and better, and looking better. They could have done that, and it wouldn't. It would still be spectacular. It's still somebody doing it. Yeah. Even if it's not a stunt, well, you know. Well, like you said, look at look at all the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or Avengers and all that shit. Um, you know." And that's a whole fucking movie of CGI. Yeah. Uh, so they couldn't have – they wouldn't even need to have a stuntman climbing up the goddamn building or whatever. Yeah. Well, Just I put a green with, screen behind it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think with the Tom Cruise thing, it doesn't matter whether people go to the movie to see him do that or not. Mm-hmm. They know that it's him. It's the fact that Tom Cruise believes that. He believes that's why people put their bums on the seat. Yeah. Well, and I, nobody says thing- no to him in these kind of propositions. Mm-hmm. So it's um it's purely uh, it's a, a raw egotism and commercialism, and also because he's been pumped up so much by Scientologists, right? To say that he's got his, all of his imgrams cleared and he's a superior human being. Well, I swear I I heard somewhere where they said that I don't know if it was him or Travolta that someone who had escaped. You know, this you know Scientology said that, or maybe it wasn't even somebody that was in it. They said that they were at a party or something, and they had a headache. And it was either Travolta or Tom Cruise, and I think it was Travolta, actually walked up and said, "I can cure you of that headache," and did like laying of hands on this person and put their hands on his head or her head on either side and started close their eyes like they were you know like a faith Mm. healer. Yeah, and and they were just like looking at him like, what the fuck, are you, you know? And hey, and it works down the Scientology Center. Yeah. It's it's amazing that people can can um, you know, but but I think we found like in the United States that when you are um, when you are um, isolated and you have a whole bunch of people telling you. Only one thing, or something that that revolves around this one thing, that it's easy to, you know, when you're living in a bubble, it's easy to start thinking if they're telling you you're Superman, yeah, that you're Superman. But the one the one thing I wanted to bring, oh, I was wanted to bring up with with Cruz also because I'm sitting here looking at pictures of Stallone playing polo and stuff. He did play <laughs> polo. He was on the cover of Polo magazine. Uh, <laughs> he um um. Is I see these like somebody the other day on I think Gentleman's Guide posted a picture of Tom Cruise and they said this fucker has to be a vampire. Yeah. 
how you know he he's they said he's um he's close to 50 and look he looks like he's 30 and i said he's not close to 50 he's like 56 or something 56 yeah right and the thing that i tried to bring up was I said, you see these pictures every day on the internet of like Jennifer Aniston or these commercials. And people are like, she looks like she did when she was on Friends. She doesn't even look any older. I'm like, okay, don't be fucking so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> they are, okay, if I'm as old, if Tom Cruise is older than me, and okay, he might be able to work out, but there's only a certain amount you can do. But with like Stallone or Jennifer Aniston or whoever, or some of the, like uh, Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda's 80 fucking years old, and she looks like she's 50 because yes. her face is so full of Botox and filler, yeah. um, and filler, and they stretch it back. It's like Brazil, you know, where they yeah. pull it back and stretch it. And the guys are taking like growth hormone. Uh, 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 testosterone replacement yep. therapy and all that shit plus the fucking hair dye that goddamn yep. Tom Cruise I when I was fucking 30 I don't think my hair was all one color and just and, and, as yep. pitch dark you know so they're all doing all this shit and these people look stand back and they say oh I don't think that so and so's taking steroids or whatever I was yep. like okay well wait a minute this person is going to do a movie that's going to last. The say the shoot is four months, yep. and they said, "Well, they hire a personal trainer." Blah 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 blah. And I'm like, I work out, I lift weights. You do not fucking gain that much muscle mass and lose that much body fat while maintaining that that your a normal person when they lose that body fat. They start losing muscle mass too. Yeah. These guys all are jacked. They're all fucking have the washboard abs. And do you think all these actors are like elite athletes? No, they're taking shit. And that's that's the thing. It's like Cruz. You know, people look at him and they're like, oh yeah, see, he's so dedicated. Scientology. And I was like, that motherfucker is dedicated to doing anything it takes to still maintain that image. And in that, I'm trying to think if if it was. Um, on what movie it was that I saw, and everybody was like, oh my god, what was wrong with Tom Cruise's face in this movie? It was um, Jack Reacher, the the, yeah. the, the sequel. Yeah. He looked like he had, had been stung by a bee. His face was really puffy, and he yeah. had no expression. He couldn't smile or anything, and I was like, he has like Botox, in, Botox injections. And also, so, the, filler, the filler too. Uh, yeah. that, I mean, if you have a look at his face, the proportions of his face to the rest of his body and his neck and things like that aren't right because of those filler. Basically, it doesn't have to be a thick layer. It's not like the pancake filler under the skin. Right. It's, all they're doing is kind of the bits that where the eyes sink into the head as you get older and, and the bits around the temples and the cheeks and the jaw where it changes as you get older naturally. They're putting filler in there. But the thing is that as he moves the muscles underlying that filler, it starts to look lumpy because... It's not subcutaneous fat moving around. It's something a lot more solid than that. Mm -hmm. And so to our eyes, because we're geared to get visual cues from people's facial expressions, it's part of the way we communicate. It doesn't look right. I mean, the mummy's got the same thing with Tom Cruise's face. He's got a slight chip monkey look to him. Yeah, yeah. The cheeks yeah. Are, are like round. Well, that kind of, I, that's exactly I, I what it is. I want to, I don't want to be a hypocrite. 
Yeah. So I will divulge right now that Ooh, I have had, well, I have, uh, I have added filler uh, above my belt line mm-hmm. and <laughs> around my waist and in my face. Uh, it's different though. It seems like it's different. I, I, the proportions are, you know, yeah. That th- that filler, I, I go with natural filler. Yeah, hamburgers. Exactly. There you Absolutely, go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as long as you're not adding filler below the waistline. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Not that either of us need to, but yeah. Ex- exactly, you know, it's a burden. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so anyway, um, I'll tell you about my day. We'll get off the subject of Tom Cruise because that's the end of that one. <laughs> I spent my whole day, first off, I went down and, and did a lot of shopping for food. And then I spent the whole day with eight or nine women in the house doing crafting. Mm hmm. Because Sally organized a craftenoon with her friends, and they all came over, and I ended up making coffees for eight or nine women and chopping up fruit and vegetables and all sorts of things all day so that they could craft. What would be the men's equivalent of a craftenoon? Probably cooking meat over a hot fire or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or beer or, and that kind of thing. Now, look, all of them, I love them. They're all lovely people. I've known all of them for decades. But I end up just being the barista there, and I thought, no, I was going to go see the Tom Cruise movie, but they're all asking me for coffees. Mm. And so I did the whole afternoon of doing that, and in the evening, and uh, we cooked up chicken wings and uh, had lots of dips and carrots and celery and all that kind of thing to so eat. So there, there was a payoff. There was a payoff in a way. But my payoff is tomorrow when I get to do what the hell I like. Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's what I was thinking. A friend of mine, um, we always, you know, talk about movies and everything, and uh, he always asked me, you know, well, what's playing, what's coming out, and everything. And um, I told him honestly, right now, from what I was looking at, what's in the theater, the only thing that was that I even wanted to go see was the new Mission Impossible movie because I wanted to see Superman's mustache. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking you know. forward to that part of it. <laughs> My sister is, uh, I, I believe that she, I don't know how she discovered him, but I think that she thinks that he is the cat's meow. But uh, now, they. I heard a rumor. Mm-hmm. Has, it, has it been confirmed that he is the next James Bond? No, he wants to be. Oh, he wants to be. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the interesting, well, there's one thing he has in common with a lot of previous James Bonds. He's losing his hair. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Well, so he's got that. I, I I have. I'm trying to think. It wasn't he in the Man from Uncle with uh, uh, Army Hammer. Yeah, it was him and Army Hammer. It's, it's okay, a yeah. better movie than than a lot of people think it is. Uh, yeah, I, I, I liked him in that. The soundtrack is fantastic. It's got these Italian pop songs from the sixties. I'm just perfect film. Him as Superman, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, maybe it's the hairy chest or something that's throwing me off. He uh, now he where is he from? Is he he's from English. England? Yeah, he's English. Okay, he's um, upper class English. Yeah. I just I don't know what it is about him that I I I don't really like him as as a Batman or Batman. I don't really like him as Superman. I I, I don't. I'm not the world's biggest Ben Affleck or Batfleck fan either. Hmm. I mean, I know some people. Some people were just like, uh, I think that there was a a certain group of fanboys that loved that Batman 
because they love the the big, uh, strong, brutish Batman that 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 fucking kicks ass and you know um, you know Batman always kicks ass, but th- that's um, it's more of a super ultra macho yeah. Batman that's really big and like you know ugh, just fucking stomp somebody and everything. Um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a big Ben Affleck fan to start with, and um, that's like uh, with um, the town. You know, everybody mm. was jumping all over themselves about that one. As far as him being, as far as him directing, because yeah. he still stunk as an actor in that, in my opinion. But um, everything that he did in them, and I should, you know, it's easy to say this, but everything he did in that movie was he just took stuff from other movies. And kind of hodgepodge hodge them together, and it, it looked good and everything. And I, but that's just like you know anything. I guess you know whether so and so you know worked with uh, John Ford and learned from him, and then yeah. went on to do. So everybody takes a little something from somebody else. So I guess you know it's a, it, it, it's he he didn't do a shitty job. I'm not saying that in that movie or now did he do he did he actually direct the one where the canadians rescued the hostages the iranian argo argo did he direct that give me a moment i'm gonna find out mm, okay i'm putting you on the spot sorry but no no um, i think he may have but we'll see argo but, um yeah it was directed by Batfleck. Batfleck. <laughs> So, but I, I I shouldn't say that he he didn't do a shitty job. But I yeah. there's people that were follow following all over themselves. I think as an actor, I just don't think he's that good. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm a Christian Bale guy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm well, just as much of a fanboy as uh, as I'm they are. I think who my favorite Batman is, and I can't really think of one beyond um, Adam West because well, we, yeah, really wa- we watched an episode. <laughs> where Caesar Romero was on a surfboard, but yeah, and uh, uh, was it Admiral Schmidlap? We were trying to think of Admiral Schmidlap the other day. He was the bumbling. Yeah. I, I can't remember. I think Batman. They had some kind of um, some kind of chemical agent in these test tubes that you know they were very very uh, fragile and everything. And and this Colonel, Sh- they were on a submarine. Yeah. And uh, this Admiral Schmidlap, who was like a, the Mr. Magoo of uh, admirals, came down and was like, "Hey, what's going on?" And just and sneezed or something and accidentally knocked him over and you know probably killed everybody on the sub. But ah yeah. well, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a hard one. I'm trying to think who I would get to play Batman. I can't really think of anybody. Tony Jaa. Yeah. Or yeah, there go you go. always. Who says who says Bruce Wayne has to be? How about Tom Cruise? Too short. Oh come on now! You're being. Uh, he can play. He can play like an old Robin. He, he, you know what? That would not be bad. Yeah. But who would play the old Batman? Um, Sam Elliott. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, I, I would see. I would watch Sam Elliott as old Batman. I, I, I um, I have not seen the Michael Keaton Batman in so long. Now I remember when it came out, we loved it. Yeah, but I don't know if it, you know, if it still holds up or Michael Keaton. I will say this: Michael Keaton has not put in any filler in his face. His face looks like a fucking leather chair, and he smokes too much. Oh, he he is in um um 
Oh God! See, I'm starting to lose my memory. The uh, I'll the pedophile priest, pedophile priest movie. Um, that was Spotlight. Spotlight. He, I, I'm trying, but see, Michael Keaton probably is. I was going to say he looks really old, but he probably is really old. Well, he's Hollywood old, which means basically he's the normal look for a guy his age. He looks like he looks like on Seinfeld when Kramer decided that he was going to turn his apartment into a smoking lounge, mm. and everybody that he knew that smoke came over there and smoked and smoked and smoked, and then all of a sudden Jerry's like, "My God, what happened to your skin?" You know, yeah. he 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 looked brown, his teeth were yellow, he was mm. craggy, and but I kind of like the things that Keaton's doing with his career at the moment. Oh yeah, in a bad movie like American Assassin, he was good. And in, yeah. and in he was a fantastic villain in the Spider-Man movie as well. He I, really I kind of brought the that. menace and the gravitas. See, he's and, only sixty-six. Yeah, but like That's I said, a, I mean, I can't I can't complain because I'm also the guy that that wished Sean Connery would have played Bond without the fucking wig, you know, yeah. or uh, that some of these guys wouldn't have so much uh, uh, hair dye in their hair that it it. It's distracting. You're sitting there watching yeah. Jack Reacher, and all I'm thinking is, Jesus Christ, dude, your hair is too fucking dark. There's not one, and it's all the exact same color. There's not one little, you know, at least leave some Reed Richards gray or something somewhere on the sides. You've got to be cool like James Coburn and just let it happen. Let it go. Yeah. Look at look at, um, look at at um, Josh Brolin. He doesn't care that he's a midget and that he has yeah. a gut. <laughs> Well, it gets rid of the gut intermittently. I mean, I did. I did like that they they uh, kind of um, did a little wink uh, uh, and made fun of him for being short when he played Cable. Mm. You know, I thought you'd be bigger. Yeah, well, and, <laughs> I, thought uh, be, I thought you'd be six foot like nine or something. Come on, my little baby. Let's do it, baby. 
Okay, we'll move on from talking about Tom Cruise and related actors. <laughs> uh, I'll let you know what I've been watching, and then you can tell me a bit about what you've been watching, because I've been watching some weird shit. Okay. Okay, I watched Mary Shelley, the movie about the woman who wrote Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus, um, with Elle Fanning in it. It's a kind of Irish-English co-production, and I only watched it because I was doing it for the ABC radio gig in Darwin. And it's really weird, because... Uh, the guy who plays her husband, Percy Shelley, seems to have discovered hair gel 200 years earlier. Because <laughs> he's got really good product in his hair. And everybody talks like they're in a Jane Austen novel, rather than the way people really spoke in, like, 1816. And it's, it's a dog's breakfast. I mean, I, I like the intent, and I like the idea of telling the story about the woman who created one of the first great monsters of literature and movies. But it's a real dud. Wasn't there a... Um, I know I saw a movie from like maybe like the 80s that was about something about Mary Shelley. Yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, Ken uh, that was that Ken, Russell, Ber- yeah. Ken Russell, yeah. yeah. I did see which, that. Which has the right amount of craziness in it. And when I was talking with my friend Michaela, who does the radio gig up in Darwin, I said, one of the things is that Mary's like 16 at the time she meets Shelley, and Shelley's like 21, 22. They don't have that kind of exuberant passion. It's all a bit serious. You know how anybody who's young falls in love and they're totally crazy? Mm-hmm. There's not enough of that kind of good craziness about it. And it kind of put me off thinking, these people are going through the motions of this. They don't really feel that passion for each other because they just don't have that insanity you know like the the first love insanity kind of thing happening um, and i miss that when it doesn't happen in movies j- j- speaking of that um there's certain things where you reach a certain point in your life and you look back at those times with that craziness and you mm. think man that was just so wonderful but yeah. then also i look back on it and i think oh my god that was awful <laughs> Yeah, it's that's it's like, a combination of both. It's, you it's know? that kind of exuberant insanity that you have a, with a like first or for me first ten or twenty loves. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it just doesn't have any of that, and um, I miss that. There's one moment where she kind of dreams of Frankenstein's monster underneath his sheet, but apart from that, the movie was a bit dull. Uh, I, then I went, I had to cleanse, cleanse my palate after that, and so I watched Peter Falk in The Cheap Detective. Oh. Which is a lot of fun. I mean, it takes the piss out of Casablanca. Casablanca. It's got a great cast of Cole Williamson playing a Nazi. It's got um, Eileen Brennan in a really funny role. Uh, it's got James Coco and all sorts of people. James Cromwell turns up in an early role playing a Nazi. And I really liked it because it's got so many in-jokes and things like that that just kind of play to it. And unless you kind of listen to it carefully... You can miss a lot of the one-liners, but uh, I found it really funny. It was written by Neil Simon, funnily enough. Hmm. And uh, it's worth rechecking out if you get a chance to, because the more you know about old movies, the funnier it is. And then I watched Salt with um, 
Angelina Jolie, directed by Australian director Phil Noyce. It was a, from about 10 years ago where she's playing the Secret Service agent who's actually a Russian spy. And I kind of liked it. Uh, I think the action sequences worked. It set itself up for a sequel that never happened, which is a bit of a shame. Mm-hmm. Had you and seen that got, before? Yeah, I'd seen it, but I'd forgotten it. So it's got Chiwetel Ledger 4 in it and Leo Shriver. Um, good cast, too. And I think that the action sequences work really well by not going too far over the top of possibility. And so I enjoyed that. Then I went kind of down market 70s and watched Thank God It's Friday, the disco movie from 1978 with Jeff Goldblum and Donna Summer in it. Mm-hmm. And it was a pun. I mean, they were, you know, they're following a whole bunch of different characters going to this big disco in Los Angeles. And I th- think that some of the casting was a bit ropey, but Jeff Goldblum as a sleazy disco owner was a lot of fun. And the music was like Donna Summer doing the last dance and all that kind of thing and a whole bunch of other people in there. It, um, it kind of worked in an odd way. It was um, much better than movies of the time that a lot of people hold in high regard like Grease mm-hmm. and Xanadu. I liked it a lot more than I liked either of those movies. And then I watched a Japanese film because I'm on my Japanese thing before we go to Japan in April. And I watched a giant monster movie from Japan from 1966 called Daimajin, which is about a bunch of kind of medieval peasants in Japan who invoke a warrior god that comes out of a mountain and starts smashing things up. And it was a bit of fun. Beautiful special effects to the the idea. It's kind of like a, a Japanese samurai Godzilla. Mm. And there were two sequels done of it as well. Really liked it. It was a bit of fun. Then, because I'm on a Japanese kick because I'm going to Japan, I watched a Japanese reality TV show. I hear it's documental, it's called, with a comedian guy called um, Hitoshi Matsumoto, who's a big comedian in Japan. Here's what he did. He got ten other comedians from Japan, and he said to them, give me one million yen, which is about 12,000 bucks. Each one of them had to pony up a million yen, and it was put in a bag. Then he locked them in on this set, which is decked out like a room with a... It's got a bathroom, it's got a locker room, it's got a big main area and a kitchen. Locked them in there for six hours, with, and the person who wins the um, 10 million yen, which is a lot of money, so like $120,000 US, would be the person who doesn't laugh in the six hours they're there. <laughs> and if you laugh once, you get a yellow card, then you get an orange card, then you get a red card, and you're out. And they had about four episodes of this. And it went over the six hours with all these different types of comedians. You've got, like, prop comics, physical comedians, subtler comedians, all different kinds of weird comedians, who none of whom I knew. <laughs> Locked in this room together, they got access to wine and food and props and like they, they brought a, a lot of them brought a bag of props in to try to make everyone else laugh and it's totally fucking crazy and the whole thing plays out over these four episodes and people get eliminated and some of them borrowed money to pay the one million yen for it and all this kind of stuff and it kind of ends on a bit of a dud because at the end of the six hours there's still three guys left so nobody wins 
But it's interesting watching what Japanese people think is funny, and apparently plucking hairs out of someone else's bare ass is funny. <laughs> well, uh, I've other things here. I literally we were we were before we did the show the other day when we were talking about doing this. I I had mentioned that I had. On Twitter now, see Twitter is completely different than Facebook yeah. because uh, in, in different ways, but in this way specifically, um, on Facebook, I I was going to start a group uh, about um, um, like porn stars, yeah. but keep all the pictures, no nudity or anything, and I think I posted one picture. Uh, just when I was starting the group and just before I added anybody, it was yeah. a picture of Amber Lynn, and all you mm. could see was her face, and she had a little bit of uh, stuff on yeah. the corner of her mouth. And yeah. I got banned from Facebook for three days. Whoa. Twitter, on the other hand, <laughs> now there was, nobody, <laughs> there was nobody in the group, so there was nobody to, to, to yeah. um, uh, you know, turn me in. Twitter, on the other hand, there's like, if you follow like porn stars or something mm-hmm. i mean there's gifts on there of hardcore stuff penetration yeah. everything well what i was telling you i think you might have been even talking about this show and um uh then we were talking about other stuff but i saw this woman and uh, a japanese woman and a japanese man and apparently his thing yeah. was to have her kick him in the balls right over like several times, but you know, fairly hard. And um, I, th- I found that now. To be honest with you, I found it funny. <laughs> well, I can understand why, but yeah, there's there's somebody for so- everybody out there if they just find them. Oh, and and um, and, and somebody that for, that we were friends with on the show used to watch a lot of those uh, game shows, mm. and um, there's a lot of a lot of different ones on YouTube. And uh, uh, we were watching one one day where. They had a big clear glass tube with a giant cockroach in the middle of it, yeah. and a girl on one end and a girl on the other end, and you had to try and blow it in the other one's mouth. So you had to kind of counter. Yeah. You had to blow, but then the other person had to counter it by blowing back. Mm. Oh my god! And it was going back and forth, and they're knowing that impending doom is coming. But that's what it's funny how. Um, there are some people that could watch that, and like I, I wonder if Tom Cruise would laugh at that. <laughs> I imagine that he would be the guy getting kicked in the balls, um, yeah, for thinking uh, naughty thoughts. Um, but also, um, I would think that something like that, he would either laugh maniacally, uh, and it would be fake because he's not a human; he's no. something else. Um, and he would say, okay, this is what a guy would do. A guy would laugh at this, or he wouldn't laugh at all. So, and he's short. Yeah, I wonder how he'd go with the cockroaches <laughs> as well, yeah. He'd probably try to find a way to incorporate it into a Mission Impossible movie. I wonder if crew, if Tom is going to end up one day – no, I think David Miscavige one day will end up um, – like the the uh, the cousin or whatever from Wild at Heart, uh, in 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 a in a little padded room putting a cockroach on his anus. Well, you know, like I said, there's somebody for everybody. Yeah, and I think that uh, Cruz and Miscavige have found their perfect person for each other. Yeah, well, you know, all happiness to them, but give the fucking money back, you know. There you go. Yeah, I, I'm Absolutely. sorry. I I I, 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 I go. I'm. Going backwards, I'm not progressing. Yeah.
So what else? What have you been watching? Well, okay. Now, <laughs> I went on a little Franco Nero thing, okay. and I think I talked about that on our show. But I, I, I will say that I watched uh, twenty four or twenty one hours at Munich uh, with mm-hmm. Franco Nero and William Holden, who cool. plays a German, um, I think, police police chief. But the Here one topped again. But he did not. <clears throat> excuse me. Hang on. Let me take a drink. Yeah, please. He did not change, do an accent or anything. Why, meanwhile, all the people around him were speaking in English with German accents. <laughs> and but I, you know, I'm glad he didn't because you st- then you still got William Holden. You got to see him act without yeah. him trying to do some cheesy accent. So it, it worked. I, it didn't even bother me a bit. Um, and Franco Nero played. Um, if you're course we are because we're old yeah. <laughs> aware of the, aware of We've that candles yeah i remember those guys coming out on that balcony you know and the one guy had the hat with the dark glasses and then the one guy came out with the ski mask and when i was a little kid that really scared the shit out of me because it was so weird and so eerie and of course at that at, at that age you really don't understand what's going on um other than you know, your your, and I think the fact that your parents and your family are sitting around the TV and the, 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 how they're reacting to this and how ominous, ominous it is, you know, comes back on you. It's the same way with the with the whole Manson uh, murders and things like that. God, for I don't know how many years as a little kid, I kept thinking these crazy 
hippies, drug crazed hippies were going to break into our, our house or pull us off the side of the road and you know mutilate us. But it, I, this was actually a made for TV movie, and um, I was surprised because you know. I, I saw, of course, Munich, which was the Spielberg yeah. movie with uh, Eric Bana, and um, I thought that was done really well. And that wasn't the the, uh, the whole actual Munich massacre thing was only a small but very effective part of that movie, probably in the first f- five or ten minutes. Yeah. And then everything else was like almost like the um, Hour of the Gun with James Garner. It was mm-hmm. after the OK Corral. It was when they went and did the hunt for the killers, and that's how Munich was. It was more about them going and looking for the killers. But this still held up, although I will say when we were talking about Cruz, how short he is and his hair dye and his sexuality. Yeah. Now, um, with the CGI, when you watch Munich, um, the one thing that was really, really hit you in the fucking face and kicked you in the balls was you've seen movies about this or about like the Entebbe, uh, the raid on Entebbe and all that stuff. But those movies were made right after the event and they only had like the old squibs and things like that in Hollywood, whereas Spielberg had – all the CGI and special effects, and when they did the, the when the terrorists first went into the uh, you know the Olympic uh, community there and broke into the people's uh, the the Israeli athletes, yeah, yeah. and oh my god, the one thing about Munich is, and I think it was a it it was twice as effective and made you feel twice as horrifying. Or twice as horrified was that they did use the CGI and you know the one guy got shot right through the face yeah. and then not only that but even in 21 hours at Munich with Franco Nero and William Holden uh, one thing that really struck me was they had killed this uh, one one of the athletes and while the the other ones were sitting there tied up that that the dead body of that guy was just laying there. And you're yeah. just like, oh my god! Uh, and uh, even when uh, William Holden's character and some of the other German officials went up to the room because they said we want to see how many people are still alive uh, mm. with our own eyes, and they walk in and that guy's just laying there dead. Like, and and the the terrorists and everything were just like it was nothing. Um, but I thought that was really good, and that was definitely worth. I hadn't seen um, uh, 21 hours at Munich in a long time. Another one that, that's, that has just come out, they just came out with a new Entebbe uh, movie, yeah. and I haven't seen it. It's on iTunes now, but I remember they had two of them at the same time, right about the same time that came out, which was Raid on Entebbe and yeah. Operation Thunderbolt. Yeah. And the one had Charles Bronson in it because he played Dan Shamron. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. And um, uh, didn't – I'm thinking that um, – was oh, Yafit uh, Kodo playing? Yafit Kodo played Idi Amin. Idi Amin, yeah. And so, I mean, going back to what you said about it being so scary when you were watching Munich when it happened, the reason you you were probably scared was we didn't see terrorism live on TV before right, that. Right. We heard about it, and we might have seen the explosion in the background, and we saw still images of Paddy Hearst with a submachine gun mm-hmm. and a beret. Right. But this was the first time because there were so many cameras at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. that we actually saw it on our screens. And I think that's what really made it in-your-face scary. Now, and, and the thing is, nowadays, um, well, even back then you had 
to me, it was it, it, when you were in that time of um, this was post Vietnam, yeah. but you were still seeing on the news every night uh, before this happened in '76 was Antebi Rain. Um, yeah. Um, and so anyway. Um, but you were seeing with the from with like the Manson stuff, and then all the shit in Vietnam that was on TV all the time, and uh, then this happening. It it almost had to seem like I, I feel like it's almost like we're we're feeling it right now, like we're living in this like uh, 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 the uh, like Charlton Heston in the Planet of the Apes saying it's a madhouse, it's a madhouse. Over here, that's how I feel right now, and it's not not as much the violence, but the stoking of hatred and all that and all yeah. that stuff that's going on. But but when you're having mass shootings happening happening at schools where little kids are getting shot and all this stuff, and it's on TV every day, plus a 24 hour news cycle, and it's just over and over and over. It does get to be where people get desensitized, and within that's why like the NRA and these people. Once there's a mass shooting like that, there's outrage for a few days, and then after that, it's on to the next thing. Because mm-hmm. what did Trump say next? Is China doing this? Is Russia doing this order? But anyway, um, I thought 21 hours at Munich was really good. I thought Franco Nero did a really good job, and I do like him better with the mustache. <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. And um, he's still going strong, by the way. Um, let's see. Yeah, I, I had to exp- when he was in. Um Django Unchained, mm. because he was in that bar scene there. I explained to Sally why he was wearing white gloves. Because in the original Django, Django's hands were smashed up. Django! Yeah. So Django. when Nero turns up in Django Unchained, he's wearing white gloves because his hands are smashed up. Well, I, I honestly got it. Every time that I watch Django, and this is a stupid comment... <laughs> No, I'm, I'm every, expecting it, yeah. Every, every time I watch Django and the guy's like, Django, I, in my mind, Franco Nero is singing that song. <laughs> I don't know why. I just see him going, Django. Didn't you see him in Camelot? The guy can't sing. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, he had a the, – the, uh, that was a, a, an interesting um, – I guess you talk about like a lifelong love affair that kind of had uh, a few bumps, but ended up, you know, kind of coming together, back together after uh, with um, what's her name? Vanessa Redgrave. Yes, yeah. I, I, I was reading about that. Now yeah, that's one of those things, you know. Okay, anybody's life, you know that, especially if it's a Hollywood guy and he's as handsome. as he is and he's on a set or something somewhere sure there's going to be and that's their personal life and whatever it always for some reason i don't know why but somebody like jimmy stewart or somebody like that that was married to the same woman for you know ages Mm. where in hollywood it's so easy to it it just for some reason i'm a sap for that it's lots of sap i'm also a sap for pam greer's big boobies uh, yep. And I, I watched Coffee, which was on uh, Netflix Instant Watch. Um, nice. This was uh, probably the greatest movie I've ever seen. In my life. <laughs> I don't um, do that. Every every second asshole on Facebook does that. Oh, I just saw this movie. It's the greatest movie ever made. 
No, it isn't. The rules of the game in 1936 is the greatest movie ever made. You like, don't know what you're fucking talking about. Yeah. That, that's why I, I always, on on uh, my, my thing on Gentleman's Guide, no matter how shitty the movie is, or, you know, not shitty, because it's, it's got to yeah. be something that I like. If yeah. I just go to see something and I post it on there, I put, this is the greatest movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> the best movie I've ever ever made. Okay. Call baiting, yeah. Um, coffee was excellent. Um, I'm not sure that it could be made today uh, without getting a lot of back. Coffee's the one where she castrates um, Peter Brown at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, lots of boobies, lots of nudity. Uh, Pam Greer was um, uh, just uh, fantastic. Uh, I, a healthy human being. Exactly. And if you haven't seen that, I wish I would have went to – there was a convention – I don't know if it was last year or the year before where Pam Greer was actually there. And, you know, but the thing about that is, uh, um, I will say this. In some ways, like when I, when I got to meet Adrian Barbeau, yeah. um, for, for her age, she still is a beautiful woman, just really petite, so nice, just the nicest woman you'd ever want to meet. But yep. then it's like one of those deals where if you see Pam Greer in coffee, uh, it's like my old teacher that I, I lusted after uh, when I was in whatever, high school or whatever. Yeah. Um, my friend uh, reminded me, he goes, well, you know, she's probably like 70-some years old now. And I said, yeah, I kind of want to remember the way she was. So Absolutely. I, it's like Angel Tompkins. You want to remember the, her the way she was. Right. Um, I, I watched Skyfall again and uh, uh, went down the the uh, rabbit hole of looking up. Um, well, first of all, um, they had the audio book of Man with the Golden Gun on YouTube. Right. And um, so when I'm driving in the car or whatever, if I'm doing dishes or something like that, I just put it on and was listening to it. And the, the one thing is, you know, you've seen if you've seen the James Bond, and I know you've read like probably a shitload of those novels, right? I have. Um, one thing that I liked was because these novels were written, you know, back in the fifties and early sixties, um, seeing how they changed it around to uh, fit like Rajamaw in the 1970s. And also, but one thing that I also liked was whether, whether it's um, with the Godfather and those, those books, even the one, the ones by Mario Puzo, of course, are canon, but the ones that were made after by uh, different writers that added things, uh, the exploration of certain characters, and uh, you you get so much more when you're talking about the villains and what um, Ian Fleming or whoever was writing whatever novel, um, how they saw that person. And like the one thing that I that I I found was in several of these novels, and I think they were the Ian Fleming novels, was when they would describe some of these villains, there were more than probably four or five of them that were had red hair, including yeah. Scaramanga. And, yeah. uh, and, and Goldfinger. Just, yeah. It was like, okay, <laughs> did, uh, did he have something? It's like when I watch um, uh, the TV show Law & Order, which had – different spinoffs, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, Law and Order, uh, Special Victims Unit and everything. The, the, um, the casting, either the casting director, or I don't know who it is, had a thing for red women with red hair. 
because yeah. if they had like one of the um, uh, assistant DAs would leave the show, they'd bring somebody else on, and they had red hair. If they had a, a needed to bring on another female detective because one left, they would be a young girl with red hair. So it was kind of telling. It's like yeah. a, a, a also a bit of a fetish happening there. Yeah, exactly. Like Alfred Hitchcock with the blondes, you know. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, I was I was listening to that and listening to uh, you know uh, about uh, Scatterman,ga and everything, and it it does make me want to go and read all of those novels. And, and now, did you get into the the newer ones like Jonathan Cape and the? I've read a few of them. Um, I read the John Gardner ones, which I don't think were anywhere near as good. Right, because I was I, I was reading Colonel the Sun. synopsis of, yeah. of those and how they were received, and there uh, there were a lot of them that they they did say exactly what you're saying that they weren't as good and that they were kind yeah. of you know. <laughs> I've got a first edition of a James Bond novel. How did you find that flea market? Um, junk shop in Newtown in Sydney. <laughs> I've got a first edition. It doesn't have the dust cover, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Of Colonel Sun, the Robert Markham one, mm-hmm. which was actually written by Kingsley Amos. Well, see, like the, now that one wasn't that the Chinese. Yeah, I think the. But I, I, like I said, I, 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 it's it's I love when this happens because um, it's like when I was a kid, if uh, there was an article or I saw something about Easy Rider. And yeah. for some reason, it just caught my attention, and then I had to see that movie, and then after I saw the movie, I wanted to see everything that Peter Fonda was in. <laughs> I wanted to see everything that Dennis Hopper was in. I did the same yeah. thing with Sean Connery. I've done the same thing with Warren Oates. Uh, De Niro, when he started getting big, I wanted to watch everything he did, Mickey Rourke, whatever. And I that, that was the thing this past week. It really got a hold of me, and right now, uh, something that – that kind of caught me that way is Ralph Meeker, so which okay. I'll come to here in just a few minutes. But um, with the James Bond things, of course, and then with the internet, you know, back then we didn't have the internet. You had magazines and shit, yeah. uh, newspapers and stuff. Um, but I went down the wormhole of um, of uh, the James Bond villains, the ones that were in the Ian Fleming books, the ones that weren't, and and going down through there like that and everything, and then like Felix Leiter and some of the background characters and things. So it made me want to watch. Uh, I watched Skyfall. Um, now Spectre and uh, Quantum of Solace. Yeah. Um, they're to, for me, they're interesting, but not that good. Yeah. Um, it's almost like when Connery made like uh, from Russia with Love and Goldfinger, and then like he said, you know, the scripts went. It got to be with it or very rushed. They weren't very good. They weren't finished, and blah 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 blah. And that's sort of how this was. I, I'm trying to think. If it, I think it might have been Spectre, where at the beginning of the movie they were show they were showing all the people that that were the writers, and there were about yeah. like six of them, and they were like, okay, this is this is a, a kind of telling. So anyway, I did the uh, James Bond thing, and and that's one thing there where. Um, uh, of course, well, I shouldn't say of course. Daniel Craig really had to grow on me because I rejected him at first. When I heard that he was going to be James Bond, I was like, "Nope, this is I. I, I don't want it. You know, this guy sucks. He's not. You know, uh, not before I saw anything. Before I saw Casino Royale. Yeah. Then when I saw Casino Royale, I still wasn't sold on the when the first 
time I saw it because I was like, okay, they're doing all this parkour stuff and it's just a big stunt fest and blah, 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 blah. And I reject. But then I really got into it and now I love Daniel Craig yeah. <laughs> as James Bond and he's leaving. You know, think, they're gonna... Yeah, well, I think that Daniel Craig is the most psychologically interesting Bond. Mm-hmm. It's a complex character and they, they kind of put in the hard yards with those first three movies to give him that arc with Vesper and getting closure on that. Right. And that kind of worked. But and the Skyfall, one, if, if when... The actor is only as good as the material and only as good as the director and only as good as what he's in. And I think when Skyfall came, I loved it so much. I mean, I've watched that one. God, well, I don't know if I'd say I've watched it as much as like Goldfinger and uh, From Russia with Love. But it, it will be – eventually it will be there because I think that one is right in there. with It's one – for me, yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah. Well, I think the... And on Her Majesty's uh, Secret Service, I'm sorry. Yeah. One of the interesting things I found out is they're having trouble writing the next James Bond novel for a really interesting reason. And why is it? They don't know how to incorporate Bond into a world where Trump is president. Mm. The the kind of um, changes in the geopolitical map are so vast, they really don't know where to take because james bond always plays on a large stage mm-hmm. there's no kind of tiny intimate james bond stories at least in the movies in the short stories there were but in the movies there are mm-hmm. and so they don't know how to address that or how to avoid that in doing that um, they've got the script now so they've obviously overcome the problem but it shows how the change in one person getting a job changes so many things down the track and there's a kind of trickling down of you know the changes to the world being reflected in popular culture and um there was a movie i saw recently which kind of obliquely addressed trump i'm just trying to think what it was uh i'll think about it in a moment i know jurassic um the latest jurassic world movie i thought you were going to say manchurian candidate no But um, in the Jurassic World movies, they, they've got the bits with Ian Malcolm played by Jeff Goldblum mm. in front of a Senate investigation committee. And you can tell none of these guys on the committee are at all science-based. One of them kind of references God and, and creation and things mm-hmm. like that. And Jeff Goldblum's there trying to convince them that you know, preserving the dinosaurs is a good thing and all the rest of it. And they're not buying it because it's, you know, people are playing God and they've got this totally... Not even anti-scientific viewpoint, but it's like science doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. It's it's a kind of blocking out of rationality and investigation and you know, cause and effect. Well, and I, I, purely I'm, going on ideology. I'm just thinking um, at the point in history that we are right now, the movies that are going to come out that are going to be this generation's All the President's Men or yeah. this generation's, you know, just the whole, uh, and then going down the fictional uh, ideas of coming up with that. Uh, um, I'm trying to think. I know they, they've done, um, when the, the president. 
Well, I'm just thinking about like a president that's crazy. Like, uh, well, uh, um, um, the the one with uh, Stephen King uh, with Christopher Walken. Hallelujah, yeah. Hallelujah. Um, yeah, that was the um, the dead zone. <laughs> yeah, the dead zone. I mean, you had that. Uh, hopefully, we won't we won't ha- have that. But um, yes. um, also, the one thing right now is because of the cultish like. Um, uh, base that they have built up, where nobody, mm. you know, everything is is fake unless the leader says it's not, is uh, an actual movie studio um, po- has to look into the um, economics of saying, okay, you're going to take maybe a third of the, a third to possibly even half of the American audience is going to shit on your movie and not yeah. go to see it because. You know they're they're in the uh, I don't know Klu Klux Klan. The answer to that is yes, but more people are going to look at it overseas, right? And after and the mo- fact, and the, the thing the thing that a lot of people don't realize is when a big blockbuster American movie comes out, they don't make most of their money from America. They make it from China. Right. They make it particularly from Japan. They make it from emerging nations all over Europe, and they make it from Australia as well. Well, and I think once everything once everything um, ha- once everything is sorted out, then it'll be a lot easier. Because now, didn't all the president's men, um, when that movie was finished, um, they did? I, I remember at the end that it the whole Watergate thing was was it completely over? Because um, I remember the typing thing at the end, you know, in it, you know. Yeah, when they made the movie, it was over, but they chose to stop the movie just as they were writing the story. Right. They it was d- all about getting the information and having what they needed to do what they needed to do. Right. Because to tell the story would have been another two movies. And so William Goldman, the screenwriter, decided, I need to end it at a certain point. Where's a good place to end it? Mm-hmm. Once they know what they're doing and they've got the go-ahead to do it, because that, it makes more sense that way, and it's it gives you a, a sense of closure without it being a traditional, you know, Nixon goes off to California kind of ending. I would like to see a um, the president's analyst part two, where they actually have a, uh, a, a Trump psychiatrist or Trump shrink. Uh, <laughs> I would rather sure see. I would rather see the president's anal cyst. Anal cyst. Ugh. Yeah, we're basically, you know, one day Trump blows up and America's got to figure out what to do next. That's it, it's one of those situations where, um, say, you have like uh, John Kennedy and he's this young man and everything. And of course, they blew his brains out all over a fucking yeah. you know limousine. Um, yeah. And this fat, unhealthy slug, Job of the Hut. Uh, I don't even know if I would. You know, I don't know if I would well, let's, uh, let's denigrate Jabba. Let's be kind and call him a flawed human being. <laughs> he, a flawed yeah. human being, exactly. Yeah. Um, he'll live forever. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, we only get there it. was a there was an Onion um, headline yesterday in the Onion saying they had a picture of Trump and said, "Don't worry, I'm going to die in fifteen or twenty years." Uh, hopefully yeah. in prison. Anyway, or uh, they could send him to. Um, like uh, Napoleon, we could exile him. Um, yeah. I watched The Godfather because it's on Netflix and The Godfather okay. uh, 2. And again, that's another one where you, if you get on the Wikipedia um, um, rabbit hole and fall down in that and reading about um, 
there are these books uh, that were written, you know, after Mario Puzo that Ooh. tell that the the one that goes back to when like uh, Sunny is just coming up and he wants to get in the business, and then there's another one that's uh, that's. Um, there, uh, oh my God! I, but even just the ones that the, the stuff that about going back and looking and reading about like the the history of Luca Brasi and why he was yeah. the way he was, why he was so feared, and stuff about the baby and all that shit, um, and just the different characters that they add in and take out. It's another one that I like. And going and reading the backstory of of Vito and the olive oil uh, <laughs> business and and. If you read, you know, I've read so many um, books and things like that about the Mer- the American mafia that um, you see how Puzo took like Crazy Joe Gallo and and these different things that happened for real, and then just changed it, and it was the Corleone family instead of the Bonanno family or whoever. Right. So it's kind of cool to see that. Um, so, but that's that's a pretty good movie. <laughs> Yeah, I some, yeah, just to talk about the kind of sequels that they pump out after the original author dies, that's what we call you know, milking the cash cow until it's beef jerky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jerking, the, jerking the cash cow. Uh, let's see. I watched Isle of Dogs, which uh, okay. recommended, and I thought it was really good. I, I loved it. Um, uh, I'm an animal lover, and it made my eyes moist. Oh, you're such a sweetie. I'm a big pusher. <laughs> Pussy galore. Um, I watched uh, Rainer Werner Fassbinder's movie, Kamikaze 89. Have you no, seen it? That? No, I haven't. Tell me about it. Okay, well, you need to see it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's... Okay, I'm going to... We should we should watch it and do a show about it. It's pretty. Okay. Uh, it's very entertaining, uh, and uh, that's. I don't really. I don't want to spoil anything other than uh, the reason that I discovered it was because it also stars Franco Nero, uh, and okay. uh, uh, Rainer Werner Fassbinder actually is the lead in it. And uh, yeah, you I think will enjoy the. I th- I, I I think you'll enjoy. Okay. okay, cool. Um, let's see. I watched a, when I was talking about Ralph Meeker. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason that um, I loved Ralph Meeker in Kiss Me Deadly, the Mike Hammer movie. Yeah. And yeah, I, absolutely. well, I was watching that right before we went on the air. Um, and because I wanted to revisit. And um, a movie, now I was going to ask you about this. I was actually going to ask cool. you about this before we even decided we were going to do this show. Have you Please seen uh, Something Wild with Ralph Meeker? Uh, Something Wild. Is that the one that's got Jeff Daniels in it? Uh, no, um, no, no. Carol Baker. Yeah. Uh, no. It's like a 1950. Uh, let's see. It's a, it's a Criterion. Hmm. Um, 1961 with uh, okay. Ralph Meeker. And Carol Baker, directed by Jack Garfine. I guess okay. that's his name. It has Carol Baker, Ralph Meeker, Gene Stapleton. Anyway, I have not seen that, and I was just reading like a, a short synopsis of it, and I thought for sure that you had seen this. You're disappointed. Okay. You're the master. Oh, I apologize, mate. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll remedy that as 
Yeah, I'm just picking it up on Wikipedia now. I definitely want to see who else we got in there. Mildred Dunnick, Martin Kozlik, Clifton James, who turned up in Live and Let Die as the sheriff. There you go. Jimmy, he was in, well, he wasn't he in two James Bond movies because the one yeah, he, he was, was the sheriff, and then the next one he was on vacation. Crazily nuanced performance. Yes, that was that was some good shit. Um, so anyway, I want to see something wild. So I started looking because I knew I liked Ralph Meeker in Kiss Me Deadly and in uh, Winter Kills uh, with Jeff Bridges. Um, and so I found <laughs> I was just on YouTube, and sometimes the shit that's on YouTube, uh, the 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 quality isn't that good, uh, and some of the stuff is like public domain crap that is crap. Yeah. <laughs> crap is crap. I watched a movie called My Boys Are Good Boys, uh, and it did star Ralph Meeker. Have you okay. seen that? I've may have seen, I've seen it a long time ago. It's I think it's I, I know the title was, enough to know the story. Yeah. Ida Lupino's last movie, I believe, um, and uh, it was. I thought it was while watching it. I thought for sure it was a made-for-TV movie, mm. and it was. I don't think it was though. Um, it was pretty crappy. Ralph Meeker was. Um, he he looked like he was. I was going to say he looked pretty old, but I think that he had. Did did he have some alcohol problems? Only one. Because um, I know I've read a lot of places where they said you know he really like, he was one of these guys that um, he yeah. it physically he, went downhill. Because he, he yeah. had like a, I, th- I, th- I thought like a drinking problem or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's like it's kind of like William Holden. William right. Holden went crazy downhill mm-hmm. with the alcohol. And the, there's a uh, piece in the '60s. If you look at William Holden at the start of the '60s in something like Paris when it sizzles, mm-hmm. and then you look at him in Alvarez Kelly not too many years later, um, you know something's taken him down the back alley and beat the shit out of him. Right. They, they they look really worn out and a lot older than what they are. Um, yeah. This movie um, it, it's it takes place well in like a boys' home, uh, a home for boys that have been in trouble with the law. And yeah. Ralph Meeker is one of the boys' fathers, and Ida Lupino is his wife. And um, of course, the boy uh, I guess Meeker has bailed the kid out and get, made excuses for him with the with the police on several occasions and this time he decides okay i 'm going to let you stay in here and serve your sentence i 'm not going to cover for you and then yeah. the boy kind of uh, decides that he wants to get some revenge uh, but it 's not very good um, i I think it's it, it, I think that it's kind of like a cult classic because when I was looking up information about it, I saw several of these uh, cult uh, uh, bloggers and things like that had it on their list, and they all said it sucked. And the music in it is fucking horrible. Uh, <laughs> okay. okay, let's see. And then I watched The Alpha Incident with Ralph Meeker, uh, <laughs> and that one was pretty pretty funny. Um mm. It was shot almost like a uh, when I was watching it, and again, you know, when somebody takes a cell phone and instead of turning it sideways so it it fills up the whole screen, yeah. they they hold it straight up and then you have the two black things on to on the side yeah. of the screen. That's the way this was shot, and it, it the way it was shot, it almost reminded me of a um, of a a soap opera okay. over here. You know, when they would have the uh, did you guys have soap operas? Still do. 
Okay. Well, I think there's only like maybe one or two still left over here during the day. Yeah, we have suburbs on beaches and in suburbs full of white people. <laughs> Let's see. Um, but then I, I kind of liked it because it was sort of – it reminded me almost like a, of the Andromeda strain. Uh, not as good, but um, there were some stupid rednecks in it who, you know, when the guy is telling him, hey, listen. Can't tell you what's back there, but just don't go in. You know, you're better off. Blah 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 blah. And then after this fucking shit, you know, they they get exposed and everything. Um, the guy's telling him, says, "Listen, okay, now you know, I can't tell you too much, but we all need to stay. There's all, there was like what, five of them or something. He says, you know, we all need to stay right here. Even in that instance, and one thing I've learned about like uh, 1970s movies is everybody wants to rape somebody." Every man in in a group, there's always some man that no matter what the circumstances are, they could be in the ocean and sharks could be swimming around and there could be like a family there. And one of them will try and rape either the daughter or the mother. And that's the way I feel some of the movies that I watched here um, in the past couple of days that are 70s movies, whether it's made for TV uh, or just really shitty movies. There's always some sleazy scumbag, even in – uh, my boys are good boys. Also with yeah. Ralph Baker, um, <laughs> there's this dude who the, the, this girl's car breaks down along the road supposedly, and um, he pulls up and he's gonna just you know give her a hand, mm. literally I guess. And uh, at first when he pulls up, you think okay you know he's being a nice guy and everything, and then and then he says well let me go back and uh, I'll get my car and I'll come back and uh, bring you some gas or whatever. And when he comes back, she goes oh it's okay I got it started. And immediately he tries to just grab her and like you know oh don't give me yeah. that crap. And I'm like Jesus Christ, it, it makes you want I guess it just adds a little bit of sex exploitation uh, yeah. uh, if you're into the whole. It's a it's a cheap way of doing tension too. Yeah, and, and and it's funny in '70s movies, uh, in some of them, not all of them, but in some of these cheaper movies and stuff like that, how uh, they they try and do like a rape is almost like a titillating kind of a thing, you know? Yeah, that they, that's how they try and present it. But the Alpha incident, I kind of dug that one. I dug it a lot more than uh, fucking the boys. My boys are good boys, because like yeah. I said, I, I just I also like the. Um, um, kind of science fiction slash horror movies that are based around like uh, viruses and things like that. Like, uh, yeah. oh, what's the one that I watched? Uh, oh, fuck, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Riding a Train, Cassandra Crossing. Oh, uh, yeah. Movies like it's that. Sophia and people like that. Yeah, and and uh, and like I said, like Andromeda Strain and things like that. And uh, like I said, I was watching uh, Kiss Me Deadly before we got on the on the air, and um, I love Meeker in that. And it just it reminded me of when he would deal with a thug or several thugs, uh, and he knew that he was gonna like somebody's following him, and he knows they're following him. It's almost like he gets this gleam in his eye and that he enjoys uh, beating the guys up, yeah. He enjoys that physical contact, that contest kind of a thing, and the challenge, and he's ready to whip somebody's ass. And I, and I kind, it kind of almost reminded me, and that's my camera, of course. It kind yeah. of reminded me of how how James Bond is. Uh, he's always up, for, and and you wonder if it's almost like a. Um, if they're almost like a soci, because like a sociopath doesn't necessarily 
have to be like somebody like Ted Bundy or somebody like that yeah. that's doing only harm. Uh, there are some people that are sociopaths that are um, they're just good at level, yeah. Yeah, they're good at what they do. They might not have that that there's something missing there and that human emotion or whatever. But for me, like if somebody was tailing me and I'm walking down the street and I know kind of that they're following me, you know. I wouldn't be thinking, okay, yeah, I can't wait to fucking mix it up with this guy yeah. and just whip his ass, you know. So, but I, but I love that in that, and I guess that's one of the the macho kind of a thing. That, whether you say they're the alpha male or yeah. or, or what, but um, I love Ralph Meeker as Mike Hammer in this. And then I'm trying to think. Of course, Stacy Keach played Mike Hammer. Yeah, and um, I'll tell you something else about Kiss Me Deadly that's kind of tangential to it, but a bit of fun. Warren, uh, I was listening to Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, which is always hilarious and great movie stuff. And somebody said, it might have been Richard Kind, said that the person Warren Beatty said was the best lay in Hollywood mm-hmm. was Cloris Leachman in the early 60s. Well, she's in Kiss Me Deadly. Um, um, I was going to say Hugh Grant. <laughs> it's not Hugh Grant. Yeah. Um, the guy played Mr. Grant on... Mary Tyler Moore was... Um, that was Ed Asner. Ed Asner. Ed Asner said that Cloris Leachman had the greatest ass that he had ever seen in his life. And, yeah. of course, because she was on, you know, she was on... Well, her her and Betty White... Phyllis, yeah. Were she had on series, Phyllis. And Betty White... And one of my friends, who's a younger guy at work, asked me one time, he said, you know, he, he didn't know Betty White other than her reemergence, almost like... With the Chuck Norris jokes, Betty White, yeah. all this stuff came out about her. And he goes, you know, Betty White, he goes, was she ever like really? And I said, she was a very attractive lady back yeah. when she was younger. And like you said, Cloris Leachman. I remember Cloris Leachman, one of the other than Mary Tyler Moore, one of the one of the big things that I remember her from was um, Peter Bogdanovich. The, t- um, the last picture last show. picture show. And um, I thought that her she was just excellent in that her and Ben Johnson in that movie made the movie for me, you yeah. know, uh, and just how the, the, their characters were hashed out and that they weren't just, uh, this cookie cutter Hollywood, you know, uh, characters. Um, and I really liked her in that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Ed Asner, uh, I, th- that might, I think that was on the Gilbert Godfrey podcast, <laughs> but isn't it yeah, amazing? Yeah. Isn't it amazing when, uh, okay. All I knew of Gilbert Godfrey was him from TV shows or doing, you know, his comedy act or whatever. And then he emerges on the podcast scene and he's got one of the best movie podcasts. Yeah. Um, well, for one reason, he, he does have a wealth of knowledge, uh, uh, uh about, uh, because he's older and he loves film, but also he has access and and the the passion to go out and find these actors um, from from these movies and get them on there and, and well and of course since he's famous he's going to have the ability to to get some of them. Did they ever get? I haven't listened to it in a while. Did they ever get the uh, me so horny girl from uh, Full Metal Jacket? No, they didn't yet. So they're, they're hopeful. <laughs> I know but, they were looking yeah, I mean, for. Uh, my friend Morris actually yeah, met up with Frank Seda Padre when he went to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, my podcasting friend Morris here from Love That Album podcast. Oh, yeah. And um, he, I said to him, one of the things that Frank and Gilbert do best is they're almost kind of oral history archivists. Right. When they get these old actors and comedians and other people there, they're recording their recollections 
as an oral history. I, I and, think it's funny because yeah. they'll be talking to somebody and they'll they'll be like, you know, way about when you did, and they're like, how can you remember this stuff? The, they the person the, actually they do the deep, yeah. There's a lot of deep cuts there, yeah. And not only do they have, I, I one thing that I like is, and I found this. This is a, a wrestling thing, but you know, so it, and not to get off on that, but. One thing that I found with some of the wrestling things is uh, interviews is they could take somebody who was the guy that got beat every week and nobody mm. would think, oh, you know, who would want to talk to this guy? He was a, he was a loser. You know, uh, it's all fake and everything, but he was, yeah. but that guy was there. He knew all the guys behind the scenes. He knew all the stuff that happened behind the scenes. And that's sort of how Gilbert will get these people that are. I mean, of course, like Larry Stork. I mean, in a, in, in yeah. his own way, was uh, was famous, and you know, F Troop and different shows and movies and and Las Vegas and everything. But he'll get people like that that everybody else is looking for the 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 huge star or whatever. Mm. And those people still have a wealth of knowledge, and, and and a lot of them, I'm surprised. And I, you know, I'm not trying to be ageist or whatever. But at, even at their age, they still have a lot of memories and a lot of knowledge that they, you know, to share. That if he wasn't there, it would just be, you know, because nobody who's going to buy. There's not that many people that are going to buy a book by some of these people, and there's yeah. not that much of a demand. But that's but that's also a, a thing about some of the. I was going to say like a shock cinema magazine and things like that, which are. I shouldn't say they're going away, but you know, with the internet, um, yeah, the economic model is not there anymore. Right, it, it's almost like you almost have to switch over and and just put the magazine online, and even then, you know, people aren't going to pay for it because there's so much for. Look at, I mean, Gilbert Godfrey's podcast is free. Your podcast is free. My podcast yeah. is free. Uh, and people can donate if they want to, but it's not. <laughs> there you go. You're not obliged to. Yeah. <laughs> But moving right along, that's 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 about all I had um, here. I do want to check out the the, the um, something wild with uh, Ralph, Ralph Meeker and Carol yeah. Baker. So maybe we can talk about that sometime. Or yeah, well, I think I really think we should. We and probably need to wind this up soon too because it's getting late here, and I've been making coffees for women all day, <laughs> as you do. At least tomorrow uh, so, you can spend the day with a real with with a uh, real man, Tom Cruise. Well, I don't know if he's a real man or he's something that Jim Henson thought up in the nineteen seventies, but yeah, you know. I'm sure he's had a fist up his. Uh, never mind. Well, yeah, I'm not sure what they did when I had my colonoscopy, but it's possible. I eh, yeah. I don't. <laughs> I actually had my first one. I think like last year, and it was. Did they knock you out? I don't remember a goddamn thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's always good when they knock you out and then you wake up and you go, okay, that was rather pleasant. They, I don't, my bum doesn't hurt. I'm okay. Yeah. She put, they they put the thing over, they, you know, they have you lay on your side and they put this mm. thing over my nose and she goes, this is just, I can't remember if she said it was, if it was oxygen or mm. something to relax me. Yeah. And they had the IV in and she said, okay, and then we're going to, then we're going to give you the shot and everything. And yeah. when they had that thing over my nose. I thought, well, I kind of smell a scent of something. This, this is oxygen, and then I was out. So I think that that was something that put me out. And, you know, I was like, "You guys are sneaky." And then, of course, yeah. sister, I've, I've had two of them, but and I don't have another one for another five years, which yeah. is great. Well, and I'm glad, what I always do, sorry, I'm glad it works. Like with me yeah. or with you, I mean, I, you're always thinking, "Oh God, what if there's something?" You know, yeah. 
But um, we're both clean as a whistle, so it's all right. But, yeah, every time it happens, what I do is I kind of think to myself, and my computer just made noise, I kind of think to myself, okay, I'm going to try to remember the feeling of passing out. Mm. And then you wake up and you don't. Yeah, and you don't know how – it's like – to me, it's like I just yeah. closed my eyes. But yeah. my sister, of course, who went with me uh, – yeah. She had to film me coming out of the anesthesia and me babbling and acting like a. She's cruel. As fuck. It, it was it was funny. <laughs> I, I literally looked at her and she goes, "Do you do you remember your name or whatever?" And I was saying my name and I was slurring it and everything. And I looked at her. I swear to God, I said, "Is Carl Weathers still the president?" <laughs> so I don't know what I was thinking. They have good fucking drugs over your way. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, we probably should wind it up there because um, we've got one hour and 45 minutes, which we'll probably get one hour 30 out of. <laughs> Listen, we've got to do this more often, my friend. Well, sure. Well, like I said, I'm kind of uh, in limbo. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'm – I don't think I'm in limbo. I mean, I'm just doing my thing. That's the only way to do it. And because I'm a gentleman of leisure now retired, I can stay up late if I need to. There you go. We will have to do this more often. Well, maybe we will Thank do it again. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Plug your podcast now. The Silver and Gold Podcast. Um, we talk about – I talk about movies. And PVK. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, fun. <laughs> Transgressive humor. <laughs> It's it's a it's a it's a free flowing um, exchange know. of ideas with yourself. Yeah, well, between myself, me, myself, and I. But yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 we haven't done this in a long time. I haven't done anybody's podcast in a long time because um, it just there for a while. You know, I, I remember the, 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 during the the heyday mm. of all of our podcasts and everything. Everybody, yeah. we were all doing each other's shows and everything. And yeah. um, it was a big circle joke. Yeah, it was a big. Circle. No, it, it was it was great, uh, but it just I don't know. It, but we're still here. Yeah. And people are still yeah, listening. Yeah, we're the, we're the dinosaurs that didn't die. I guess. There's a lot of dinosaurs that perished. Yeah. Next time we'll put a bit more structure in it and we'll pick a couple of movies. Sounds good. And um, we'll shoot the shit through those. It'll be great. And uh, like I said, I'm always happy to drop in on silver and gold and just kind of you know, ruin your demographic for you. <laughs> well, I do have to go because I have to go dye my hair and uh, get my yeah. Botox injections. Absolutely, and get that tummy tuck happening. <laughs> anyway, mate, take care and uh, look after yourself, and I will catch up with you soon. Very good. Okay, bye-bye. Here are the credits for Paleo Cinema Podcast and Martian Driving Podcast done in the style of film credits. I'd like to thank Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian, the caterer, Grant, the technicolor consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary, the prop master. Morris, our musical director. Jan, our dialect coach. Armin, our key grip. Matt, the rattlesnake wrangler. Elaine, our scientific advisor. Julia, the casting director. Chris, the camera operator. Christopher, the gaffer. Miss Jane, the wardrobe mistress. Tansy, our foley artist. Alyssa, our location scout. Mark, the second unit director. Paul, the special makeup effects director. 
Tammy the Donut Wrangler, Tim our New York Unit Director, Steve our Spiritual Advisor, Steve Sullivan our Script Doctor, Dylan the Goat Wrangler, Eric the Set Security Lead, Richard H the Set Photographer, Mark D the Extra, David L the Extra, and Richard C our Transport Co-Captain, plus Andrew our necessary film critic. We have Kerry H, our accountant, and Kerry L, our other spiritual advisor. Thank you so much to all the patrons for dipping into their pockets and helping out with the podcast. This has been a Paleo Cinema Martian Drive-In production. The end. <laughs>